going to study with you now from the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 103. This lesson will be taken from the Old Testament book of wisdom literature that we know as the book of Psalms. What does forgiveness mean to you? I think uh, most Christians who had some time to think about that would respond that it means everything to me. In fact, there's nothing in my life that is more important than to be forgiven of my sins. That's the thought that's expressed in Psalm chapter 103 and verse 12. What the psalmist wrote, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Well, can you measure the distance from the east to the west? How far is that? You know, that, when I look at that expression, we struggle with in infinity. We, we are finite beings. We live in a finite world. We live in a specific segment of time that's referred to as our lives. So everything about us is, is finite. But this is one expression that pertains to the realm in which we live that comes about as close to infinity as perhaps the Holy Spirit could have communicated it to us. And that is, if you try to measure the, the distance between the east and the west, then, then that's almost in, an infinite distance because you're never going to get there. You're just going to keep going around and around in this circle. Well, that statement suggests the power of forgiveness. And it suggests what forgiveness should mean to the child of God. If you've never obeyed the gospel, I want you to think about the power of that statement because that's where you can be. God will take your transgressions, whatever it is, whatever it is that you have done, whatever sin it is that you have committed, he's going to take that sin as far away from you as possible. It's going to be an unmeasurable distance between you and that sin in the past. Now, that's powerful. We often say that knowledge is powerful. Well, that's a powerful piece of knowledge. But it's not only powerful at the point that we obey the gospel, but for those who have obeyed the gospel, we should be able to look back to that and see the power of forgiveness, but we should also be able every day to find encouragement and motivation and strength and courage to face whatever it is that we face in life knowing that our sins have been forgiven. And should we sin again, <coughs> excuse me, the good news is we can continue to be forgiven of our sin. We sing the song often that there is power in the blood. If I want to dig deeper into this idea of forgiveness, this, this most important of biblical concepts, forgiveness, then I want to begin by understanding that the power that resulted in our forgiveness is in the blood that was shed by Jesus on the cross. When Jesus was assembled with his disciples and he instituted what we refer to as the Lord's Supper, he said to those disciples in giving them the fruit of the vine to drink, 
He said to drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Now that thought needs to come through my mind whenever I'm partaking of the Lord's Supper because I am able to enter into this covenant fellowship with God because of what Jesus did in his death. He shed his blood. And in the shedding of that blood, there will be, there is, and there always will be forgiveness of sins. And that statement sinks very well, doesn't it, with Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when Peter was asked the question by those Jews assembled on the day of Pentecost who came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, they said, what shall we do? They were pricked in their heart. They wanted to do something. Peter said to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Perhaps in Peter's mind he was thinking about that night of Jesus' betrayal. He was thinking about the statement that Jesus made, drink of this cup. This is my blood of the covenant which is to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And now here Peter is on the day of Pentecost. Excuse me. He's, he's preaching this sermon that is predicated, that is based upon the power that was in the blood that was shed. We need to think more about that. Because remember, knowledge is power. And I need to take everything in life that isn't quite so important as my forgiveness, and I need to put that on the back burner, and I need to bring this thought that I have been forgiven of my sins to the, to the forefront of my thinking because it is that very thing, it is that very thing that's going to usher us into eternity, is it not? Is eternity going to be possible without the shedding of, of Jesus' blood? I want you to go with me to the book of Hebrews, and let's develop this thought just a little bit more more deeply before we move to our, our next point. And we see this all over the book of Hebrews. It was, it was easier for the Jews to understand that power was in the blood because it was a part of the Mosaic system. That is this, this shedding of blood. They came to understand, and we'll see in the passage that we're about to, to read, that there was no forgiveness in the shedding of that blood because the blood that was shed by those sacrifices that were made under the Old Covenant, the, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away their sin. But in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13, notice, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, a perfect sacrifice, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, I can know that I've been forgiven. And that knowledge is power. It, it moves me to serve the one who sacrificed so that my sins could be forgiven. And he did that willingly. Verse 15, for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant which points back to Matthew chapter 26, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. 
Now that points to the power of the blood as well, doesn't it? Because what the Hebrew author is stating is all of those sins that were committed under the old covenant, the blood of Jesus reached back and those who are looking to the future through the eye of faith for the coming Messiah, their sins were forgiven as well. Those 3,000 who obeyed the, the, the gospel on the day of Pentecost, their sins were forgiven. Those who have the multitudes, the thousands, the hundreds of thousands, the millions who have obeyed the gospel since Jesus died, their sins have been forgiven. And it's all possible because of the blood that was shed. For where a covenant is, verse 16, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. That's why Jesus had to die. It's so that that covenant might become effective. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. And we think about a will. We think about a last testament. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. Blood was a part of the Jewish economy. For when every commandment had been spoken to Moses or by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. They saw that. They knew of that. That was a part of their culture. That was a part of their history. Saying that this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. Think again, Matthew 26 and verse 28. Jesus said, in partaking of the Lord's Supper, this is the blood of the covenant. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say that all things are cleansed without blood and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We can't be forgiven without the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Chapter 10, verse 1, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. And I try to, <clears throat> I try to imagine in my mind what that looked like. I don't know about you, but blood makes me a little queasy, especially when it's my own. But think about going to that temple. Think about going to that tabernacle. Thousands of goats, thousands of sacrifices were made. Can you imagine the blood that was shed? And they were seeing that blood. They were experiencing that firsthand. And that happened year after year after year. And it was said that that cannot make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins? But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. Again, try to imagine being a Jew and being present and seeing all of that blood. And just knowing that that's a reminder. I'm going I'm to walk away from this. And I'm still not going to be forgiven. For it is impossible, verse 4, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But the blood of Jesus took away our sins. And there is power in that forgiveness. And in our knowledge of that forgiveness, there is power. We're going to go back to the book of Psalms down, and first we'll look at Psalm chapter 32. And then we're going to jump to the psalm that we began with and look at the context to see 
how the psalmist viewed this matter of forgiveness. And Psalm chapter 32 was written by David as well as Psalm chapter 103, and we know about the sin of David's life. So David could appreciate the power of forgiveness because of his own sins. He wasn't just writing about it, he lived it. But in Psalm chapter 32 and verse 1, he writes, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Well, our sin, my sin, your sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. Now look at Psalm chapter 103 again. Let's go back and, and start at verse 10. Verse 12 is the psalm uh, upon which this lesson is based. Look at verse 10, Psalm chapter 103. The psalmist writes, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Aren't you thankful? <laughs> he has not dealt with us according to our sins. What would we get if God was dealing with us according to our sins? Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great... It's his loving kindness toward those who fear him. And then the statement. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Four. Why, why does God have compassion on us? He knows our frame. He himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Why does a father have compassion on his children? Because he knows his children aren't where he is. They don't have the experience. They don't have the age. They don't have the maturity. They don't have the wisdom that comes with age. So he treats them with compassion. He doesn't give them what they probably deserve. <laughs> he gives them much less. That's what God does. Because of his love for us, he doesn't reward us according to our iniquities. What he did is he sacrificed his son. His son took on the punishment. His son was punished for our sins. Not our sins, my sins. Make it personal. Read that psalm. Chapter 103, verse 12. Make it personal. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed my transgressions from me. There is power in the knowledge of forgiveness. I said earlier that we, we understand this at the point of uh, rendering obedience to the gospel. And it is powerful. It's, it's such a blessing to, to be able to come up out of the waters of baptism and to know for the very first time in your accountable life since you became accountable, when you come up out of the waters of baptism, you're as pure as you were the day you were born. You, you are as innocent as you were the day of your birth. What a, what a blessing. What a powerful statement about the power of forgiveness and to know that. But then life goes on, doesn't it? Do you remember the first time you sinned after you obeyed the gospel? Do you remember that? You're expecting me to say, I remember that, aren't you? 
I don't remember what it was, but I do remember the first time I sinned after I obeyed the gospel. It just wasn't a good feeling. I'd sinned plenty of times before, but here I am. Jesus died for my sins. My sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ. I'm pure, I'm holy, I'm innocent. I'm as close to God as I was the day I was born. And all of a sudden, I did it again. I did it again. Well, we got good news there too, don't we? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, and that's what I did. And I've done it time and time and time again since that first sin. He is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because he's a God of compassion. He knows our frame. He knows our weakness. He, he knows that we're going to give in to temptation, but he's there to forgive us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you. Notice that, my little children. It's almost like God is speaking directly to the pen of the Apostle uh, John. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's not the point of this. It's not to, it's not to preach cheap grace or to give you license or liberty to do what you want to do. But it is this, that is the purpose, is to know that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. His blood is what makes it possible for us to be forgiven when we obey the gospel and for us to enjoy what has come to be known as the, the second law of pardon. As we continue to walk in the light of Jesus, as we continue to confess our sins, then we can go back to day one. We can go back to the, the, the purity that we experienced when we were born and then when we were reborn. And it's because of the blood. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. There's power in that forgiveness. But then there's a need. There's a need for forgiveness. I need to know what Jesus did for me. But I, I need to also feel the need to be forgiven. And if, if there are those here this morning who have not obeyed the gospel, let me tell you one reason why you haven't done that. If you know that you're accountable, if you know that your sin was wrong, and yet you continue to refuse to obey the gospel, it's because you don't see the need. You don't see the need for it. You see, you're, you're, you're still living. You're still living by the wisdom of the world. You're still living by, by what Satan tells you, and that is the same thing that he told Eve in the garden. If you eat, you will not die. 
contrary to what God had said. And what the Scriptures tell us, whenever we sin, we die. You've got to feel that burden. You've got to see that need. You've got to respond to that, that gospel message. And even beyond the point of rendering obedience to the gospel, when you sin again, you still got to feel that need. In Acts chapter 8, we read about Simon the sorcerer who obeyed the gospel. He was baptized. He was forgiven of his sins. But then he's just like the rest of us. He sins again. He wants to buy this ability to, to lay his hands on others so that they can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and, and to perform miracles. He wants to do that. You know, he's just mis, misguided. He said to give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter's response in Acts chapter 8 and verse 20 was, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You know, you were saved not by money. You weren't saved by something which is perishable, gold or silver. You were saved by the imperishable blood of Jesus Christ. And now you're going back. And you're thinking like you thought before. You've got to pull yourself out of that. You have no part, verse 21, or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. And that's where we find ourselves when we sin after we obey the gospel. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. <laughs> can't, you, can't you take it a little bit easier on me? I, just, I did just obey the gospel, you know. And now you're telling me that I'm in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity? It's because sin is serious. It's because of what this sin is doing to your soul. And if you don't feel the weight of that, and he, if he didn't feel the weight of it after that, he never would. And I believe he did because Simon answered and said in verse 24, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I believe that was a penitent heart. But he understood. Did he not? The need for forgiveness? There's an example of one in Luke chapter 18 who didn't feel that weight of his own sin. It's the, the Pharisee. It's a religious man. It's a religious man who just thinks I'm fine. I mean, I compare myself to everybody else. Look at me. I'm, I'm better than everybody else. How could I possibly feel the weight of my sin? How can I possibly feel that? I appreciate, um, I know many of you read the email that uh, Darla sent out some time ago about a need for prayer and restoration. I'm not going to speak of this in betraying our confidence because she put it out there for everybody. But the thing I appreciated the most about what she said was, all my life I've been taught that once you're saved, you're not always saved. And yet I've come to live like one who believes that. I've come to live my life like one who believes that once I was saved, I'm always going to be saved. You know, every time someone makes a confession, almost every time someone makes a confession, I find myself standing in their shoes. <laughs> because they're not only speaking of themselves, they're speaking of me. <laughs> How often have you lived your life 
telling people, once saved, always saved, that's not right. But you're living it because you don't feel the weight of your sin. In Luke chapter 18, verse 10, two men went up into the temple, and I guess we should go back and read verse 9 because here's the, the one who trusts in himself that he is righteous and he views others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and he was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I go to church. I partake of the Lord's Supper. I sing without the instrument. I'm here every time the doors are open. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Which one believed, once saved, always saved? <laughs> it's the Pharisee. The tax collector, on the, the other hand, saw the need for forgiveness. And, and it was personal to him. Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Final point I want to make in all of this is with respect to the Lord's Supper. We began in Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus, on the night of his betrayal at that Passover feast, in instituting the Lord's Supper, drank the fruit of the vine, and told them to do the same. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, Paul writes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But in the proclamation of the Lord's death, there is to be an awareness and a knowledge and an understanding that it's because of my sin that that death took place. It's because the blood of goats and bulls could not take away my sin. It's because there had to be a, a, an unblemished sacrifice for my sin. And he willingly went to the cross. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, I know how many times have we done that, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And what are you going to feel when you do that? You're going to feel the burden of your sin. You're going to feel the weight of your transgression. Let a man examine himself, and so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. You know, the Lord's Supper should be a refreshing experience, shouldn't it? Because when I take my mind back to my need for forgiveness, then I become one with Christ in baptism and I become one with Him as I drink His blood and as I eat His body, as I partake of those emblems that represent the body and the blood of Jesus, that I think of that power that was exerted by God in raising him from the dead, 
I think of that power that was in the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of my sins. And I take that personal because I'm not examining everybody else. I'm examining me when I partake of the Lord's Supper. And then I see the power of forgiveness. I see that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. If you're here today and you've never obeyed the gospel, we want you, we want you to be one who is forgiven by the blood of Jesus. We want you to confess your faith, the faith that's in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God. We want you to repent, to change. I'm going to do better. I know I can do better. With the strength of God, I can do better. And then we want you to be baptized to have those sins washed away. How? By the blood of Jesus. And you'll be as pure and as holy as you were on the day that you were born. What a blessing. It's not the first birth, it's the second birth. If you're subject to the call, please come as we stand and sing. Hey.